It's Richard Ellis Talks with founding pastor of Reunion Church in the heart of downtown Dallas, Richard Ellis. Whether you find yourself in a good place or a difficult place, perhaps even in a very lonely place, you've come to the right place, a place to hear that you matter, to hear that you're loved, and that's something everyone desperately needs to hear. Now, if you're not able to enjoy today's entire program, just go to the website, richardellistalks.com. All of these video talks plus hundreds of audio talks are waiting to encourage you, challenge you, and to give you hope at richardellistalks.com. So with today's talk, here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is On the Lamb, and I'd like you to turn to Exodus chapter 12 with me, and we're going to read uh, the story here of where Passover comes from. And in Exodus chapter 12, verse 1, this is after all the other plagues, and Pharaoh has refused to let God's people go, uh, and God is about to drop the hammer in a way that they could not refuse. And in verse 1, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb. According to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb." So if you had a big house and the lamb would feed everybody, great. If it was just you by yourself or two of you and your neighbor had some, you say, okay, we'll, we'll pile in together. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. So remember this. Uh, we'll come back to this in a little bit. Uh, they, pick the month on, they pick the lamb on the 10th, but they don't kill it on the 10th. They keep it till the 14th. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at, at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. So you cook the whole thing together. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. So consume this lamb. Eat what you can, and if there's any left over the next morning, consume it, burn it with fire. And thus shall you eat it. With a belt on your waist, sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. So you're not supposed to eat fast normally, but in this, in this case, that's what the instructions were. So dressed, ready to go, staff in hand, sandals on, like you're going somewhere. And the fact of the matter is, they were going somewhere. It is the Lord's Passover. And then he explains why he's doing this. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn of the land of, of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. So what's going to happen on that night? The angel's going to pass through. 
and kill the firstborn. Now you say, well, wouldn't God's people be exempt? And this is a, a very, not a technicality, this is the point of the whole thing. The people of God would not be exempt if they did not follow the directions, if they were not in their house, if they had not picked the lamb, sacrificed the lamb, put it on the, the doorpost and the lintel, then they were susceptible to the same death that all of Egypt was, the firstborn uh, of both man and beast. Verse 13, now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. So that will be a sign for you, but then look at this, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So it'll be a sign for you, but it is also for God to see. Why would it be on the outside? Because when he passed through, he would pass over that house. So the blood of that lamb on the doorpost of that house is what protected that house from experiencing what the rest of Egypt experienced, man and beast, man and animals. The firstborn would die. Then go down to verse 50, and if you keep reading here before verse 50, you see they did what they were told and uh, Pharaoh, all the Egyptians said, get them out of here, and, and we'll get, you can have whatever you want, just get out of here. Uh, and they were ready to go, and literally that same day, you see here verse 50, thus all the children of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. So literally, eat a meal, God passes over your house, the Egyptians say, we're done, and they are leaving. And the only way they left with their families intact was that God saw that they had obeyed and put that blood on the doorposts and the lintel of their house. I'd also like you to turn to Isaiah 53, and it is very fascinating to me that you go back hundreds and hundreds of years and read things that you say, well, what does this have to do you know, how, how could they possibly have known way back then what was coming in the future? And this is clearly in reference to Jesus uh, when you read Isaiah 53, verse 1, follow along with me. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So as you read this, you go, well, who in the world is this talking about? Who could it be talking about other than Jesus? No one could you lay the iniquities of everybody on, and somehow they take care of it. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, 
And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Literally, Joseph of Arimathea gave his own tomb, a rich man. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. No one but Jesus could do it. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was murdered with the transgressors, two thieves on a cross, each on a cross, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. I'd like you to go to Luke chapter 2. Uh, normally we read Luke chapter 2 around Christmas, but this is where it begins with Jesus, at least on the planet. And Luke chapter 2, very fascinating piece of this story, is uh, let's pick up in verse 11, Luke chapter 2, verse 11. And this is the angels announcing the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem to the, to the shepherds. They've gone out. The shepherds are watching their flocks by night. And they say to the shepherds, verse 11, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then verse 12, something very fascinating that he says to them, And this will be a sign to you. So now there's going to be some type of sign, some miraculous sign, something that they'll know. There's no mistake uh, this is how we'll know we found him. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Now, we sing a song around here at Christmas, uh, wrap this one up, tremendous lyrics. And the premise of this is that there was the tower of the flock uh, in the Bethlehem area. And a lot of the sheep, if you, if you look at the sacrifices Back in that time, every day a lamb was sacrificed in the morning and in the afternoon at the temple. So it had to be spotless, pure. They had to be chosen from the flocks, checked out, and could not be bruised, could not be harmed in any way. So there's 730 right there that you got to find throughout the year, plus the thousands of others that people who came to Jerusalem would need to, to buy a, a lamb to, if they were going to make a sacrifice of some kind. So where do these come from? These shepherds were raising these sheep, and the story is at the Tower of, of the Flock that when they saw one of these lambs, they would wrap the lamb up in swaddling cloths so that it couldn't harm itself in any way, and they would lie it in a manger, lay it in a manger. Um, so these shepherds are used to this with these sacrificial lambs. So why is this all of a sudden a sign? You say, well, they would go into Bethlehem and just go door to door saying, do you have a, do you have a baby in a manger wrapped in, in swaddling cloths? I think they knew exactly where to go. And the implication that you have here is that this is not just some kid that's been born. This is the child. This is the lamb. And uh, so part of what contributed to their excitement about this, and then you keep reading, uh, they made haste and went into to, uh, to Jerusalem, to Bethlehem, to see this thing that had happened. Um, go to John chapter 1 with me. 
Fast forward, this is Jesus after he's born, 30 years go by, he starts his ministry, and uh, he goes out to be baptized by John, not for the reason that we are baptized, but he goes out, and as he's out there, John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him. And if you, know, if you remember the story that John the Baptist is six months older than Jesus, he's his cousin, um, and they are, they've probably known each other, obviously, you know, most of their lives, kind of grew up together if they saw each other back and forth. But on this day, uh, John looks up, sees Jesus coming toward him, and said, Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John knew who he was. Now, if you go back in the Old Testament, you go back in all these, the sacrificial system, these lambs had to die over and over and over. A new lamb, find a lamb, make a sacrifice, constant sacrifice for sin. Back to the, the, the original Passover, what was the purpose? The blood of the lamb on the doorpost and the lintel is what saved that household. And that has not changed. So as it were, your house, my house, this body, where I live, if I have not appropriated the blood of the lamb and put it, as it were, on the doorpost and lintel of my heart, of my life, then when this angel comes and takes out the people who don't have that, you know, you say, well, you're trying to scare people. Um, it's, it's not about trying to scare you. And if you're a Christian, you say, well, I don't really have any reason to be afraid. You're right. But as gently as I can say this, if you are not a Christian, in the same way that back at the Passover, original Passover, you say, well, I don't believe that. Putting blood outside the door, that's not going to do anything. Except that after the Lord passes through there and people start dying, then you go, wait a minute, there was something to that. It takes faith to believe something before it happens. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. It hasn't happened yet. So you say, well, I don't know if I believe that. I am strongly encouraging you to believe that. And John the Baptist here, when he, he looks up and sees Jesus coming, he says it to, to Jesus, but to everybody around, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Literally, this is the Lamb. It's a person, though. This is he whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now, you say, well, how could he say that? He can't be before me because I'm six months older. He's, he's not just implying, he's stating that Jesus is God. He was before him. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel, therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know... Um, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Again the next day, John stood with the two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Again, behold the Lamb of God. So you say, well, I don't believe that. I get that. You either believe that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, or you don't. 
And if you do, then you can have assurance that if you die, you will be in heaven with, with him forever. And that in this life, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's going to take care of you no matter what. And no matter what, if something tragic does happen, you're going to be with him forever. If you don't believe that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, then you're by yourself. Now go to a few uh, chapters over to, to John chapter 12. And in John chapter 12, the Passion Week, uh, this happens to be uh, Palm Sunday that we read about in the scriptures. And there's some very fascinating parallels that come out of this. In John chapter 12, verse 12, the next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, in other words, the Passover feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. So these are people that believed um, that, he, that he, he was who he said he was, at least at this moment. Some people say, well, these same people that cried Hosanna cried crucify a few days later. I don't know that you can really come up with that. It makes for great preaching, um, but I don't know that you can come up with that, and I'll tell you why. Keep reading. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, and as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So here it is fulfilling prophecy. He's coming in uh, to town on a, on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, and look at the crowd who it is. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. So who's part of this crowd saying Hosanna? These are people specifically who were there when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead. So they knew something, there was something about Jesus and literally refer to him after the Hosannas as the king of Israel. Because uh, you can't just go around, nobody raises the dead but God. For this reason the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. So a huge chunk of this crowd crying Hosanna are people who either were there and saw it or heard about it and believed it and, and had, had made up this crowd that was, was crying out, Hosanna with the palm branches, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. In other words, you're trying to stop him. You cannot stop him. The whole world has gone after him. Now, we read back in uh, Exodus that the first month of the, the Passover happened in the first month. On the 10th day, which is this Palm Sunday, and it's the month uh, Nisan, N-I-S-A-N, if you've seen that on a Jewish calendar. And on the 10th day of Nisan, it's the day that what happened? It's the day the lambs were chosen for Passover. So all over town, Jesus coming into town, and people who are going to observe the Passover are doing what? They're selecting their lamb for the Passover meal. If you keep reading... Um, Jesus, a few days later, when he is crucified, at the third hour, as it says, which is 9 a.m., Jesus is crucified just as the first lamb of the daily sacrifice is offered on the altar in the temple. So he is crucified that morning. A lamb is being offered in the temple. 
And that afternoon, uh, the ninth hour, or 3 p.m., the time of Jesus' death on the cross, corresponds uh, to the time in the evening sacrifice was being made in the temple. So a lamb is sacrificed in the temple when he is crucified, and a lamb is being sacrificed that afternoon when he dies. But if you keep reading, when Jesus dies, what happens? The veil of the temple is rent between the holy place and the holy of holies. And the God that they were offering these sacrifices to and trying to atone for sin, all of a sudden, that massive curtain, wall of a curtain that separated the priests who only went into the Holy of Holies one time a year, um, all of a sudden that thing is ripped from top to bottom. Why? Because the sacrifices will no longer be required because of the blood of the Lamb that is shed, that is shed that Good Friday. And people say, why do you call it Good Friday? It's good for us, not so good for him. If you go back and look at the phrase on the lamb, uh, that phrase means to be on the run from the law, flight, escape, to run off. Um, a lot of people do this with God. They are on the lamb running from God. So are you on the lamb? Are you running from God? And do you have a list of things that if we really sat down and said, okay, tell me about your life, and, and, and what people come up with that they don't want to talk about is everybody can come up with the fact that they're a sinner, and they have nowhere to go with this list of sins, with this list of problems. Turn yourself in. Throw yourself on the mercy of the court. And I promise you in this courtroom, you walk in the courtroom and the judge, in this case, God the Father, will look at you and say, how do you plead? And I have no other plea but what? I'm guilty. And so he lifts up the hammer, as it will, the gavel, and he's about to wrap the gavel and sentence you, and Jesus speaks up, and what does he say? I paid for that. Give me his sheet. Give me his wrap sheet. I'll attach it to my cross. And the Father looks at the Son, the Son looks at the Father, and he wraps the gavel, and then what does he say? Not guilty. You walked in that courtroom guilty, and you walk out not guilty. And see, this is very mind-boggling to people. You say, but I know I did all these things. How can I possibly be guilty and be declared not guilty? It's not fair. And you're exactly right. That's what makes the gospel such an extraordinary thing. Why would God let his only son, the Lamb of God, come down here, tempted in all manner of sin, yet without sin, deserve nothing but God, our everything. And it all gets laid on the lamb. That's your only hope. That's my only hope. It's such a simple thing. It's an overwhelming thing. You say, why do you cry? I've never gotten over that somebody died for me. Not just that somebody died, but somebody who didn't deserve to die for me, died for me. He had done nothing to deserve death. So he got death and I get life. The last chapter uh, I'll read you is Revelation 21 and verse 22. And he's describing heaven here, John in this vision that he saw, what it was revealed to him. He said, but I saw no temple in it. Talking about 
heaven. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in them, for the glory of God illuminates it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Enough of being on the Lamb. Enough of running. Enough of trying to get away from God. Turn to Him. Change your mind. Repent. Go to him. Turn yourself in. Throw yourself at the mercy of of the Father. I promise you, you will find grace. You will find mercy to help in time of need. And he can save you. And you can take all the stuff that you've carried so long that you are a sinner primarily and say, God, I put it on your son, on the lamb, and I trust him to save me right now. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for these stories that are not just stories. They are the truth. And for all that you have done to get us to this place, I pray for anyone listening today who has not known, does not know the assurance of their salvation. They don't know where they, they, well, they actually probably do know where they'd end up, Lord, without you now. And they want to change that. So in a simple conversation with you, they could simply just pray, God, I I see that you love me and you care about me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin and was buried and raised from the dead to provide me the forgiveness of my sin and eternal life as a free gift. I accept the gift of eternal life. I accept his blood payment for my life. And I ask you to, to come live in me and through me and change me from the inside out and take away the fear of death, take away the fear of the future and and confirm to me in the person of the Holy Spirit taking residence in my life, fill me from the inside out and let me know that I'm gonna be more than okay, that I have an answer for life, I have an answer for death, for sin, everything that, that comes against me, that you have overcome all the enemies that I face. Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for your, this free gift that you offer so generously, so, so graciously. And thank you for giving me the faith to believe and to accept what you offer today. And Father, for those of us who are Christians, who know these things, I pray that you would reassure us, that you would kindle in us, even if we're down to an ember somewhere in the dust, that you would stir up the gift of God that's within us and that you would help us rise up, Lord, at a time like this and always be ready to give a reason for the hope that's within us and not be ashamed, not be afraid, but realize that people all around us, Lord, every day that we text or call or FaceTime with, whatever it is, Lord, that they need hope, they need answers. And hope is not something, it's a sweet person. And his name is Jesus. We love you, we trust you, we praise you, we thank you, and we pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.
We'd love to keep this conversation going with you anytime on the website richardellistalks.com. There you'll find the full version of today's talk, plus hundreds more of Richard's challenging and encouraging audio and video talks. Then discover over a thousand cities where Richard Ellis Talks is broadcast. Or you can share a request on the prayer wall. Plus, if you'd like to consider a gift, learn how to join the financial partnership team and so much more at richardellistalks.com. So let's meet again here next time to talk about how God is ready to change your life starting today with Richard Ellis Talks.